Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Interest rates are being held, not cut. Let's say it again. Held, not cut. I don't know what people were expecting. I don't know what they were thinking. I don't know if they really believed that the year 2024 would begin and it would be nonstop. Rate cuts on rate cuts on rate cuts on rate cuts. Guys, let's be perfectly clear. This economy is not in a good spot. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. 833, got Tony. 833-468-8669. Find everything at TonyCats.com. I would appreciate it. If you would, let me give you some of the basics. First, the the, um, Federal Open Market Committee removed some language. They made some changes. And the removed language indicates a willingness to keep raising interest rates until inflation had been brought under control. The Fed's desire, their fantasy rate is 2%. But there is no plans yet to cut rates with inflation still running above the 2% goal. Where is inflation running? 3.9%. That's where it is. You're talking about double. When it's double, you're not going to have cuts. That's just not going to happen. Let me take that and now let me bring you to something else. PayPal laying off 2,500 workers, 9% of its workforce. Not enough. UPS is laying off 12,000 workers and we should say not laying off flat out cutting baby gone we don't need this anymore just cuts non-stop and 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 we're not talking about drivers we're talking about management positions here people keep wanting to tell you from the administration and from other places that, my gosh, this economy is on fire. I don't know if this tells us on fire. Dr. Matt Will joins us, economist at the University of Indianapolis. I sent you the text. I'm like, what does this say to you? And your words exactly, they are true to their word by not incre- by not cutting interest rates. What do you mean by that? Well, they indicated over the last 12 months that they believe we are in a new norm, that when the rates went down to zero, that was too low, that it removed all the tools from their toolbox. They couldn't control the economy or control inflation as easily. And if we needed to cut, there was no room to cut when you're at zero. So I believe this is more of a long-term strategy that they said. They told us this was going to be the norm, and I think we're now going to be on a steady path for, for quite some time. But when you talk about steady path, you're not talking about a steady path down. You're talking about a steady path across a horizon that this is just where we're going to hold for a while. And that while could be the entirety of 2024. 
Yes. Oh, I, yeah, I know the market has a built-in rate cut. In fact, multiple rate cuts built in this year. But I am not a, a believer in that. You know, they say that the risks to achieving its employment inflation goals are moving into a better balance. That is their exact phrase. It's in a better balance now. Again, I believe what they're saying when they indicate that this is the norm. We're talking flat. I don't think they're going to be cutting. If they have a cut this year, it might be one. But this is going to be the range. They're not going to go down to zero again like uh, some people would like. Now, this is where people are going to say, but they said, talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis, the Fed said they were looking at three rate cuts in 2024. Then, while I'm going to say it this way, while you dismissed the minutes of the meeting, the minutes said that anything we said about rate cuts has no relationship to reality whatsoever. We're talking directly out of our butts. We don't know what we're going to do. We don't know when we're going to do it. And now you think that um, that the, the Fed, by this move, right here from the beginning of 2024, this is setting the tone for the year that these are the rates and they will remain. Well, okay, yes, but let me explain. What you hear some Fed members saying to the media and what you see in the minutes of their discussion is not what they put in their report. The report says this. I'm going to quote it. Quote, the committee does not expect it will be appropriate to reduce a target rate until it has gained greater confidence in inflation being under control. That's a quote. I mean, we can read the minutes. We can see the news talking heads, members of the Fed board going out there saying things. But the minutes are quoted exactly what I just said. They do not expect it's appropriate to reduce the target rate. The Dow has responded by kind of throwing up. Down 83. It was up only four. The Nasdaq had already been down today. It's now down 215 as we speak. And one of the reasons it was down is that earnings from Alphabet, which is Google, and Microsoft, which is Microsoft, both did not hit. They both engaged uh, a, a, a miss. Um, this, uh, I, in our conversations, you're a believer that the part of the massive growth that we've seen in, 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 in the markets is all because of AI. AI this, AI that, AI everything. It, it, you, you can't swing a cat without hitting some AI. Uh, I would think Alphabet and Microsoft were on top of all this, yet we saw the slide. What, do, what gives in that regard? Well, what happened with with um, Alphabet is that they missed their target. They were still up dramatically. I mean, their revenue was going through the roof. What happened is it didn't go in as high as people thought. It was still up significantly, but it just wasn't as high as people thought, and that's what the um, the you know, the issue was. I mean, they had ex- they expanded twenty six percent in the fourth quarter. Twenty six percent revenue increased seventeen percent last year. 17% for Microsoft, but it didn't go as high as people thought. They've built in too high of expectations. They were good. They were just out of the out of the ballpark expectations. And Microsoft? And Microsoft was the 17% and Google was the 26%. Those so, are good increases. But you created an unrealistic expectation within the marketplace. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about it. Microsoft, which is, you know, the, the chat GPT, you know, open AI partner, they had revenue increases of 17 percent. You know, I think the market was expecting something closer to 20. So, yeah, the AI is driving everything, but it's not it's good, but it's not that good. 
Now let's move into whether or not this is a good economy or not. And to do that, I, look, I, I've been very clear. This is not a good economy. There are more issues than there are good things happening. And while everybody wants to tell me about how things are strong and the markets are on fire, I keep looking at layoffs. I take a look at here in central Indiana, Salesforce, they lay off 700. Then PayPal lays off 2,500. Then UPS, not, it's not even a question of layoff. It's 12,000 job cuts specifically in management, never to return. Never mind Citigroup that put an end to 20,000 jobs. We see the shedding all over the place. Yet, anecdotally, I will tell you that there are people desperate to hire. They cannot find a soul. So even though these jobs are getting cut, we are not necessarily seeing, and maybe the numbers will show us differently on Friday, we're not seeing these people look for other jobs or get other jobs elsewhere. This, to me, signals a problem. Am I reading the signals properly? I would say you're mostly reading them properly, but it's still back to the same discussion you and I have had for the last few months. We still have the great resignation. We are still feeling the impact of people not going back to work. Yes, we still see closures of businesses that have not been able to reopen. You know, we had businesses closed in the pandemic, and Biden has not allowed them to come back in. His economy has not produced the businesses. So we have a shortage of businesses, not as much a shortage of labor. So, I mean, not an abundance of labor. Look at UPS, 12,000 people they lied off, and they are so confident of the tight labor market, they said, you know what, and you're all coming back to work full-time in the office. That was a pretty bold statement from UPS. Oh, a massive but, one. That Five days a week, not three days a week, not look, we'll create a split shift. Five days a week, you're back in the office, we're done with this conversation, have a nice day. Has there been a response from the, the rank and file of, now nah, we'll go elsewhere, or are they showing up? <laughs> um, from what I understand, they're showing up. And remember, this is the same organization that had a massive union fight, and the unions were bragging how great and wonderful they did for their employees who just got laid off to the tune of 12,000 people. But there's, if, if you got a minute, i got to tell you, there's another important thing here. You talked about the economy not being that good. The Magnificent Seven, the seven top stocks in the S&P 500, they made money last year. If you were in the Magnificent Seven, you did great. If you were in the other 493, you actually lost 10% in your portfolio. So I should follow you for all my stock tips and tricks. That's basically what you just... It's time for a newsletter, Dr. Will. I think that's what's coming. Talking to Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of, of Indianapolis. Just a real quick thing on UPS. The deal that was made was made for the drivers and made for the union workers. Everybody who was laid off here is a non-union part of UPS. So there is a difference, a distinction in these things. But I need to move over to one more story which I think this is a question of playing out to the future, and that's Evergrande in China. This real mm -hmm. estate uh, holding a company developer, uh, the amount of debt they're sitting on is somewhere around $408 billion. They've already engaged the defaults, and now there is, through a Hong Kong uh, court, a, a liquidation. Evergrande's going out, which means Country Garden, an equally large uh, real estate holding developer group that has been building these ridiculous ghost cities and other things, will, uh, will possibly have the same fate. Give me the effects of this on the American economy. 
it's it's a domino effect because Chinese companies are in portfolios, whether you like it or not. If you own an index, many of these retirement plans, many of these mutual funds, these ETFs, they contain Chinese stocks because they're in global indices, like it's called the the ACWI. It's the it's the big global index. So you own Chinese stocks, whether you want to own them or not. So when you have Evergrande going other, you're going to see a domino effect. It's going to impact them. It's going to impact uh, even companies in China, because there is a link between the two economies, and investors in the United States. Remember, the Chinese government tried to prevent Evergrande from going under. They failed. The biggest country in the world could not succeed in stopping a company from going bankrupt. But isn't That's that a, not a good sign? Is, is that more of a question of not wanting to? It's it's China. They have some stockpiles. They could have just propped it up. They, I mean, I would I would argue that it's obvious that they could have. So either either they chose not to for other reasons, or I'm mistaken, and they really couldn't. They don't actually have that much cash. It's not that they don't have that much cash. They can print all the money they want, and they've done that in the past. It's This bubble was so big, they did a calculation. The Chinese government decided we either let them go or we're going to have to cancel and close and bankrupt many more bigger companies. So it was a, a pay them now or pay them a lot more later decision that the Chinese Communist Party had to make. Dr. Matt Will, economist at the University of Indianapolis. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. I have more to get to. Find everything at TonyCats.com. This is Tony Katz Today. In the state of Indiana... There is some proposed legislation, and the proposed legislation would allow kids to have a lemonade stand. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. In the state of Indiana, I did not know this, although I think we may have talked about it, yet was not top of mind. Kids who want to run a lemonade stand need a permit and an inspection from the county health department. So now there is a, a, a law, a piece of legislation, a proposal that would deregulate the lemonade stand industry. This comes from Representative Blake Johnson, a Democrat, filing a bill that would allow kids to run a lemonade stand, as reported by WTHR, on their private property without a permit or inspection. The bill passed unanimously out of committee. Good. Good. It's interesting that a couple years ago, as reported, there was a Republican filed the exact same bill. How did it not go through two years ago? How is it possible that it didn't go through two years ago? It never got a committee hearing in the Senate. How, what? What are you talking about? How could anybody think this is a bad idea? Well, this lemonade may not be made properly. We can get people sick. You know what? That's the risk we take in the world, kitten. There's a really important lesson in this for all these people 
who are screaming in, in here in, in, in uh, for example, central Indiana. And you see this happening in Albuquerque. You see this happening in other, uh, that's New Mexico. You see this happening in other cities where they want to put in uh, BRT, bus rapid transit, and they want to have bus only lanes. So there's been a big conversation about whether or not that should happen. Now, we have something called the red line in Indianapolis, which is a big, hot, stinking mess. It's a total failure. It was supposed to be electric buses. And then the electric buses came from China through a group called BYD, Build Your Dreams. They didn't work. They were falling apart. And they didn't hold the charge. Because the weather was too cold, so the batteries didn't last as long. Which is weird. You would have known this if you had paid attention to what was happening in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is sometimes, uh, when I say sometimes, many times, warmer than Indianapolis, Indiana. They had the same exact problems. So then they were going to put on these wireless charger systems, these pads, and the bus would, would sit over it and it would charge up. Super cool technology. Ah, that didn't work, so they went to diesel. You see, we were told we need electric buses, and that's the way to, to save the planet. The bus is there to try and stop cars from being on the road. It's to engage centralized planning and prevent mobility. We'll get into that later. So there's been a conversation about whether or not the state can say, hey, you can't have a bus-only lane. Lanes are for cars. you got to have mobility. Let the cars uh, go. Let them, let them go do, do their job. Let people drive from point A to point B. The people who are opposed to this are saying we're going to have more car accidents and we have to do away with car accidents. There's a whole push called Vision Zero comes out of Sweden. And the push is to uh, turn, uh, reduce the number of traffic accidents to zero. Well, the only way you do that is to stop people from driving. This is their plan. But just like buying lemonade from the kid's stand, life is a risk. There are no solutions. There are only trade-offs. And the trade-off against mobility for Hoosiers is no mobility for Hoosiers. So the people who don't want uh, mo mobility, the people opposed to cars on the roads, to hell with them. Their idea of a trade-off sucks. They're wrong. They're dangerous. They're radical. They need therapy, and I only hope they get it. Because that's exactly the argument they would make to anybody who said, oh, you can't have a kid having a lemonade stand. My gosh, someone could get sick. Listen, I've had a cup or two of lemonade from a lemonade stand, and I'm going to be serious. I never had to rush to a bathroom. That has not happened to me yet. Now, that may have happened to you or your cousin Johnny. I don't know. But the risk is worth it. The teaching of entrepreneurism is worth it. The very concept and the wholesomeness of it is worth it. The, the decency of it is worth it. And showing kids they can go out there and create and build is worth you maybe having some kind of inappropriate bowel movement. Yes, car accidents happen. And yes, people in cars have been hit by other cars and pedestrians have been hit. And that is awful. But the other side of the coin is people not having mobility. No. No. So Indiana should get this passed immediately. And the governor should already come out and say, uh, hey, uh, make sure this gets to my desk. And then we should have Lemonade Day in the state of Indiana to support entrepreneurism and also to drink lemonade. And... Um, uh, the lemonade should cost a buck, but if you want it with a roll of toilet paper, it's five bucks, you know, for those of you who have a, may have a problem.
This is Tony Katz today. seems that Alejandro Mayorkas isn't going to go quietly, and certainly one could take a look at impeachment and not see it moving further past the House than just, well, actual impeachment. But the statement is being made, and the screaming and the yelling from whether it be Benny Thompson, congressman from Mississippi, or Dan Goldman, congressman from New York, notwithstanding, they'll tell you that there's a border deal put out there by Joe Biden. Why won't Republicans vote for it? They want it for the politics. The Republicans will say, we've been talking about the border for years. We passed legislation in the House 265 days ago. Why hasn't uh, the Senate moved on it? And oh, by the way, Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas has failed us and failed America. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Griff Jenkins joins us of Fox News, who was covering the border before covering the border was cool. I do want to get into what's happening in San Diego. You and and, and Bill Malugin have been reporting on the number of single able-bodied males coming through uh, California, coming through the border there. But, but let's start with what's going on with the impeachment, with Mayorkas, and the argument that was made in the markup by both Republicans and Democrats. Well, Tony, it's great to be with you. And look, at the end of the day, you know, the, the reasons that they are trying to, the House Republicans are trying to impeach ultimately Mayorkas is the fact that he did not carry out the laws that are on the books. They put out endless ads of public safety announcements that still run every single day to CBP on Twitter and elsewhere saying, if you don't have a legitimate uh, uh, reason for asylum. Uh, you will not be allowed to stay in the U.S. But that's just absolute hogwash. They're all being 80 plus percent, 85 percent are allowed to be released into the U.S. and they're not coming because they're seeking asylum or meeting any credible threat of uh, fear. They're coming for economic reasons. That's why I was covering that caravan a few weeks ago, carrying the banner Exodus de Pobre free us from poverty. The migrant leader themselves, uh, uh, Viagran, Luis Viagran, who I know and have, have gone and covered him in Tapachula and places like that, told me the migrants are not coming for any other reason than the fact that they know they're going to be released and they're going to be able to get jobs. Look at these sanctuary cities from New York, Chicago, and elsewhere that they're trying to get work authorization for them so they're not homeless vagrants in their town, but yet at the same time, they're getting what they want. They're getting exactly what they came for, and that's why they keep coming in in you know absolutely unprecedented numbers. And so Mayorkas is being impeached by the House Republicans because he's not enforcing the laws on the books and the second article of impeachment, which is that he's lying to the country about it. Now, the, this idea of enforcement, we've heard Joe Biden go through this this odd bit of storytelling that the problem is he doesn't have the power. This is is Joe Biden in his own words. Listen. With executive authority, or is there more you could do after the got all done? I can do. Just give me the power. I've asked for the very day I got it off. Give me the borders patrol. Give me the people. Give me the people to judge it. Give me the people who can stop this and make it work right. He's making the argument, Griff, uh, that he doesn't 
have uh, the the power. One of your compatriots, Jesse Waters, made a, a extremely solid point. For three years, the Biden administration has told us that the border is secure. It's fine. Stop being ridiculous. Now, all of a sudden, he doesn't have the power. In the, in the halls of D.C. that you cover as much as you cover the border, how is this argument going over? Well, listen, <clears throat> it's very disingenuous, and that's not an opinion. That's an observation, because let's not forget, Tony, on day one that he was inaugurated in 2021, he undid 94 executive orders from the Trump administration pertaining to the border, things like remain in Mexico, that when he realized at some point into the past three years that he was creating a crisis by undoing those, he could have put them back in place. And that certainly would have plugged some of the leaks, if you will, in what was a ship destined to sink. Now that the sink, now that the Titanic is on the bottom of the ocean, he's saying, wait, I need someone to give me help. And, and so it's really just unbelievable for him to say that. Now, there is an argument that Congress is the only one that can change policy like asylum. And he's right about that. But the argument against this current border deal and what's happening in Washington that insults the intelligence of Americans for those that think the Americans don't understand it, you're talking about giving more resources to continue the processing and transporting of migrants, not the detaining and deporting of them, because we're seeing nothing in the way of increasing detainment and deportations, and certainly nothing in the past three years that suggested they were trying to get there until all of a sudden, in an ABC poll, Joe Biden is at 18% on handling the border. Our border is being absolutely run over. The Texas governor has decided to challenge the Constitution and take matters in his own hands because he doesn't know what else to do. And you've got the president sitting there that that uh, he can't do anything. He could do a whole lot starting 10 minutes from now, which is reinstating Remain in Mexico. Let's so talk why? about that. Hold yeah, on. Let, let's stay right there. Talking to Griff Jenkins of, of Fox News. You catch him weekends. You catch his reporting everywhere. He fills in on Fox and Friends. My gosh, he runs the whole company by this stage of the game. Um, the Remain in Mexico policy. This has been a little yeah. bit of back and forth. And over the last couple of years, it's kind of gotten... Uh, kind of scrubbed in, in, in the wash in terms of what it refers to. Define the Remain in Mexico policy that President Trump put into place to explain what it is the Biden administration did and where does it reside right now? That's a great point, which is to step back and say, what was it? We heard about it. And why did it work? So it originally was started because of COVID. And it basically said, if you're going to apply for asylum in the U.S., you have to remain on the Mexican side of the border while your asylum claim plays out. And if you get then uh, approved to come into the U.S. for the next stage, because there's several. First, you got to like come and say you're claiming asylum and explain exactly why it is that you have you meet the threshold of credible fear. That's then noted at a port of entry by an immigration, by a CBP officer, who then would take the next step, which is to push it to an immigration attorney 
who would then begin to decide whether or not you do qualify for asylum, right? It's it's sort of a a multi-tiered system, and you got to get to that immigration judge. And so with COVID, we're like, listen, you can't come over here because it's too dangerous right now with the cross-border and all the COVID things. You got to stay there. When we began to get unprecedented numbers, large numbers coming, President Trump signed an executive order saying, you know what, everybody claiming asylum, and particularly if you cross illegally and say, oh, I claim asylum, it's like, great, okay, sounds good, give us your name and info and go over to Juarez or Matamoros or in Tijuana, and you wait there, and we'll let you know when that uh, uh, is approved or disapproved, which set up all those camps we saw on the Mexican side. And migrants were having to wait months upon months, if not year upon year. And the migrants said, well, wait a minute. We didn't sign up for staying in a migrant camp in a Mexican border town. We want the good life. and We want it now. And Trump said, no, you can't. You got to do it this way. And if you cross illegally twice after you're applying for a remain in Mexico, you lose your right to stand in that line. And they were like, well, hell with this. I don't want this, Tony. I'm, I'm going to worry, worry, you know, try again some other time. Meanwhile, the Biden administration comes in, undoes it. They'll start coming in massive numbers. Then they came in such large numbers that you started to get these NTAs. We hear about NTAs. That means a border patrol agent in Eagle Pass when I was there in September, in October, we were seeing upwards of 3,000 a day in that area. On one specific day, Tony, I remember I was doing live reporting. We had 27 total border patrol agents on the sector in Eagle Pass, only 27 individuals, and we had more than 3,300 encountered that shift. And so you do the math. These guys can't. These guys and gals can't write these notices to appear faster. Now you see my buddy Malusian reporting <clears throat> last month about this asylum date 10 years down the road and beyond notices to appear because the system's so backlogged. So this administration, Mayorkas and President Biden ultimately allowed the backup to become so uh, burdensome that they allowed the migrants and the cartels ultimately, because that's who's getting filthy rich off of it, to overwhelm the system. And once they broke the system, they own the system. And now Trump, uh, Biden's acting like, well, there's nothing I can do. It's it's a crisis. He finally, for the first time, used the word crisis. That's just simply, I think the appropriate adjective is disingenuous. Talking to Griff Jenkins of Fox News, weekends on Fox News, and of course his reporting from the border and from D.C. That's an important definition about what Remain in Mexico actually uh, does and, and how it gets kind of manipulated because one of the things we heard in the impeachment hearing was Representative Dan Goldman of New York say, we don't have a place to house all these people. We don't have a place to put all these people. And Remain in Mexico would solve that problem. But I want to take you out of the impeachment conversation. I, I, I will come back to it and bring you to San Diego where your your your, your partner, Bill Malugin there, as, as we think of the border, you guys are, are the one to punch, talking about what's happening in San Diego and the numbers of crossings there increasing. Keep your eyes on that, specifically single able-bodied males. Are we seeing an increase in San Diego and... Should we, or should does Border Patrol believe we should be thinking about single, able-bodied males differently than women, children, and families? Well, yeah. And listen, here's the thing about, so San Diego, which is, as you know, is just north of Tijuana. You know, 
whether it's San Diego or Lukeville, Arizona, or Eagle Pass, it, it ebbs and flows in terms of which area is ground zero. Right now, San Diego's <clears throat> sector is at ground zero. They have more than 1,300 uh, illegal <clears throat> migrants crossed yesterday, but they're coming not only as single adults, of which about 1,300, it was roughly 1,100. I mean, like 85% were single adults. And it included from over 100 countries, including everything from China to Africa, Vietnam, you name it. And so you wonder, why are they coming? Again, it goes back to the job thing. Single adults are coming because they know they can find work and they can find an opportunity for a better life. About the only perhaps silver lining to this story in this crisis is, Tony, you can say at least the rest of the world still knows there's no, but, no, no greater place on the planet than in the United States of America that offers anybody, particularly the downtrodden in the uh, disenfranchised, the most likely chance of success in reaching that American dream. You hear all kinds of Americans talking about the American dream is lost and done and we're terrible and woe is us. Go stick our head in the sand. Ask these migrants from all over the world why they came. It's ultimately because they believe they can do it. And they believe that ultimately Joe Biden promised them the opportunity to do that. Remember, he promised this to them. And that's why they they say that, you know, thank you, Mr. Biden. And all. I've done it with migrants. Bill Malusian more recently did it. But San Diego right now is being hit hard. And what's really significant about the different number of countries in Venezuela, in, in Eagle Pass, it's largely Venezuela and, and in a few other countries, but they're getting a heavy concentration from South and Central America. Whereas out in California and in Arizona, they're getting the wider spread of migrants from all over the globe. And that is an indication from my border patrol sources that ultimately the cartels have figured out a system in some areas to just set up a, 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 an opportunity to do a worldwide travel agency and bring them from all over. And, you know, it was in uh, Yacumba, California, where Malusian dropped that video yesterday uh, of smugglers uh, in SUVs, two SUVs dropping off migrants who just go around a part of the border wall where it's open. And that had people from India and Turkey and everywhere else. And so, you know, this this situation is is all a snapshot. And we keep getting snapshot after snapshot in time of the national security implication. You know, the I put out in the very beginning of, of uh, January, I knew from my source there was 302,000 migrant encounters in December, shattering all records. And sure enough, guess what? That bore out true. What I didn't know was the exact number of people on the terror watch list. It was 19, bringing the number to 51. One was from the northern border. All the other... Uh, 50 were from the southern border crossings. And you look at the data yesterday. So yesterday, there was just a little over 6,200 encounters across the entire southwest border, right? 740-something, I remember, I think 41, were uh, known gotaways. Right. So that's more than 700 potential 
you know, on any given day, more than 700 potential terrorists in our country. But then you look at the December note, 302,000. That's when you watch the Super Bowl. When the Chiefs take on the 49ers and you see those giant crowd in that Super Bowl stadium in Vegas, just know that what crossed in December was four and a half times that. Well, there's the sobering thought. Griff Jenkins, uh, Fox News, as the impeachment proceedings proceed, we will speak again uh, about that and this uh, border deal, which seems to be uh, DOA coming from Jim Lankford and uh, the Senate, uh, that bipartisan deal. Griff Jenkins, Fox News Weekends. Catch him there. I appreciate you. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So we still don't have a response from the United States. No response for Iran. You've got John Kirby saying, I think we signal resolve pretty well. Is that right? You had the vice president saying, don't, Iran, don't you do anything when it comes to this uh, Hamas attack on Israel. Don't think, don't. And then, of course, you had uh, Secretary Antony Blinken saying, don't. And then you had President Biden with his steely, squinty eyes saying, don't. And they did. So tell me again how you think we signal resolve pretty well. John Kirby, the guy's a rear admiral for the love of the Lord. We signal resolve really well. We have not responded yet to three Americans being killed. I don't think that's a, sh- a, a signal of resolve. I don't think that's showing anything. You're speaking with the, the, the powers that be. You're speaking with your team and you're getting a plan together. Oh, sure. I'll believe it when I see it. And I already am disgusted that I haven't seen it. Find everything going on at TonyKatz.com, T-O-N-Y-K-A-T-Z, TonyKatz.com. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.